listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast, a podcast all about your health and wellness issues that affect you every day. We want to educate, entertain, and maybe make you giggle a little along the way. No annoying statistics or jargon here, just information you can use every day to be healthier, happier, and less boring. All right, here's your host, OBGYN Dr. Ron Eaker. Hey everybody, Dr. Ron Eaker here and back again, not for a thirsty thirsty, but this is a Sunday afternoon and I'm actually redoing this past week's thirsty thirsty on longevity and ways to live longer because basically I'm obsessive compulsive, I'm anal retentive. Those of you who saw that knew that I was having to do it old school. I was going back to using my cell phone because I got locked out of the place, this place, that I like to do the broadcast. But what I found out afterwards is I love what I said and all the information I got out, but it was like one of these old-timey foreign films. I would be sitting there talking, and then a few seconds later, it would be the voice. You know, it was like... And then I think we ought to pay the ransom, you know, those old foreign films. So it was crazy. I couldn't, I couldn't myself sit there and watch it. And thank you, all those people who did. I was quite shocked at the number of people who actually watched that. But it was crazy for me. I couldn't sit there and watch my mouth move. And then a few seconds later, had the words come out. So I think it distracted from the message. And I think the message is so important. And there were so many comments and people that were interested in what we were talking about that I wanted to just completely redo this and go back and, and present this information again. I'm actually probably going to delete that previous one because it's, it makes me crazy just to look at it. So I'm going to go back through that same information today, again, talking about longevity and talking about keys to living healthier, longer uh, so I'm going to delete that old one. But if you watched it, great. Thank you. And the feedback was super. So I can actually take the feedback from that and incorporate it in this and hopefully make it a little more practical. Now, one of the feedbacks that I got was way too much science. You know, I don't care about all the details. Just tell me what I got to do to live longer and live healthier. And I get it. I understand. I appreciate that. But I want to give you some of the science. You know, knowledge is power, but the application of knowledge is a true superpower. So I wanted to give you some of that science, but not nearly as much as I did the other day. So if you got that and you were able to tolerate the crazy broadcast part of it, uh, great. You don't have to watch all this stuff again because I'm basically repeating everything I said the other day, but hopefully in a format that's listening, you can actually watch it and get something out of it. So I won't spend as much time on the science, but I do want to have a background because I think it's not only is it really amazing, but it helps you understand a little bit about why you're doing the things that I'm going to talk about that will increase your longevity, why you're doing those things. If you understand the science, it makes it a little bit easier to understand. So let's talk a little bit about this new concept of why we age. And I'm taking most of this information from three books. And I'm going to post all these things. That was the other thing people ask about is the medicines I talk about, the supplements I talk about, the books I talk about. A lot of times you don't catch it as we're going through the video. So I'm going to post all this information for you so you'll have all that directly. But the books we're talking about, we're taking this from, is Lifespan Why We Age by Dr. David Sinclair 
the blue zones by Dr. Dan Butner, and the telomere effect by Drs. Blackburn and Apple. So that's where most of my resources are coming from, but I'm going to provide those for those who want to dig deeper. Now, obviously, I'm going to be very superficial in the science part. So if you have the least bit of interest, dig deeper. You can go as, as shallow or as deep as you want on this topic using these books. They're written for the lay folks, but it's, it's, uh, it really applies to everybody. So with that, let's go ahead and get started. Now, have, you, have you thought about aging? I mean, we almost assume that it's a natural thing, that it's going to happen. Well, you're right. We can't stop time. Time is linear. It's, we exist in this time. So, of course, we're going to age. In fact, I'm more aged now than I was 30 seconds ago. So this concept of anti-aging, which I went on a rant about a few videos back, if you want to see me really rant, it's not about anti-aging, it's about slowing the aging process and potentially increasing not only your lifespan, but your health span. That's what we're all after. We're talking about not years of just life on this planet. We're talking about viable, energetic, engaged life on this planet. And that means your health span. How long can you live and really rise to every every bit of greatness that's a part of you and every bit of you know suck out the marrow of life how long can we do that that's what this is about it's not just about hitting a certain number it's about how can i stay healthy in my 60s my 70s my 80s my 90s and as you'll hear today possibly even past that so that's that's the whole idea behind it so we know aging is inevitable but as, as I, I love to say, there, I was reading a book the other day called, uh, there's older folks that were in this club called the uh, Old But Not Dead Club. And I really liked that because they were these folks in these nursing homes, but they were having lots of fun. They were enjoying themselves. They were old, but they weren't dead. So that's the kind of the idea I'm talking about when I'm talking about slowing the aging process. And it's becoming very important to me because I'm getting to be an old geezer. I'm getting to be in this age group. You know, I used to think, my gosh, when I was in my 20s and I would meet somebody in their 60s, I would think, man, you're over the hill, dude. You're ancient. I mean, you know, I just, I, I can't believe you're still able to get around. Well, now I'm thinking, I'm there and I don't think I'm that old. I mean, I think 60 is the new 40. I mean, I'm talking about, on average, I've still got another 30 years on average. And that's if... That's, that's average, so I'm not ready to give up, and hopefully you're not ready to give up, and hopefully you're ready to actually make this time of life, this actual third of your life, something viable and vital and valuable and living this second, second story, if you will, to the, to the fullest. So that's what this idea is about, is how, how do we do that? How can we accomplish that? Well, this new theory about why we age is fascinating because it has to do with our DNA and our chromosomes. Now, I'll tell you right off the bat, studies with twins have illustrated that our longevity, how long we are pre-programmed to live, is only set in about 10 to 20 percent of the time, meaning that there are genetic things that pre-program us, like our telomere length, and we'll talk about that in a minute, but there are certain genetic reasons why we may or may not be more long-lived than, say, the guy next to us or the girl next to us. 
but that means that there's 70 to 80 percent that we can control things that we are not chained by our chromosomes we're not absolute uh, prisoners of the genetic code that we've just been dumped on so it's it's great from the standpoint of knowing that we do have some control that's one of the biggest problems with health for a lot of us especially as we age is we feel out of control i see that in menopause all the time i said i feel so out of control well the reality is we actually have more control than we realize mainly because of a concept called epigenetics we've all heard of genetics epigenetics simply means on top of genes genes as you remember from your high school biology if you remember chromosomes are those things you see pictures of that look like stick men when you got the hands hanging up and the feet down they they there are 23 pairs in our in our each human cell and those chromosome chromosomes contain all the genetic material the blueprint for who we are and and what we are and every single cell has the genetic components for everything. In other words, you could, that's why you can clone by taking a cell because it has all the genetic material. In other words, a nerve cell just doesn't have the genetic material for a nerve cell. It's got all the genetic material for a skin cell, for an earlobe cell, for a toe cell. All that's in each and every cell. Well, then why doesn't a toe cell turn into a nerve cell? Or why doesn't it, an ear hair cell turn into an eye cell well because there are these controls about which one of those genes are activated and expressed and those controls are what's known as the epigenome it consists of these little proteins called sirtuins that go around and attach to the different genes and turn them on and turn them off the analogy that one of the books used I thought was very helpful and it's going to be very important as you grasp this concept of what what aging is all about in their mind aging is about not DNA damage but a loss of information a loss of the ability of these proteins these sirtuins to turn on and turn off certain genes think of it this way the genes in our DNA is constantly being bombarded you all understand the concept of mutations or, or problems that occur with the genes. They get broken down. And that can happen from just being around too much sunlight, from drinking too much, from too much smoking, from certain foods, being exposed to certain chemicals. You name it, there's a reason it could damage DNA. And that's happening literally millions of times a day just because of the massive volume of cells and DNA. Do you know if you took all the DNA out of your cells and lined it up, it would stretch to the moon and back. It's a, it boggles the mind when you think about the amount of information in each individual cell. But every day, because those are constantly being uh, broken down and built up and replicated, mistakes are made. And we all know that mistakes in DNA directly correlate with things like cancer. The cells don't work as well, or they lose their ability to die, which they're pre-programmed to do. And that's what a cancer cell is, is a cell that forgot how to die. It just keeps growing and growing and growing. So these damages, these mistakes that happen, have to be constantly repaired. If it wasn't, we wouldn't make it past two or three years old if these cells couldn't be repaired. Well, that's what those little epigenetic sirtuins do, is they sit where they're supposed to sit normally, but when there's a break or a, a disruption in that DNA, they hop off and go over it and fix it and then go back 
to where they were to start with. It's kind of like in Hurricane Katrina. Just think of New Orleans as being the DNA, and it got badly broken. Well, the sirtuins are these little epigenetic proteins. Think of those as all the AIDS workers that were coming from all over the country and all coming in and doing different jobs. Some would come in and, and fix the electricity. Some would come in and bring water. Some would come in and do first aid. But they would all come in and do their job, and then some of them would go on back to where they came from and go back to their normal activities and do what they normally would do. Some of them might even stay for longer, maybe stay there instead of a week, two weeks. And someone would get down there and because of situations would never actually make it back to where they came from. They may end up staying all the time. Well, that's what happens with these little things that go around and repair your DNA. They come down to where the DNA is broken and some may stay shortly, do its job and go back to doing what it was doing originally. Others may come down there and stay longer and some may come and never go back to where they originally came from. So what happens there? Because this happens over and over and over and over, eventually, think about this. Think about those AIDS workers. Well, what happened if there was a hurricane that destroyed the town every week? Well, after a while, you're going to run out of AIDS workers, or you're going to get people who just end up living down there and forgetting about where they came from, and then you've got all kinds of problems back where they came from. So the analogy I'm building is that because this DNA is beaten up and, and bruised and broken, so often, just by daily life, we run out of the ability to correct it, to mend it. That's what they theorize is the reason for aging. That's why we age, is we get to where we can't repair that, and eventually the cell can't replica replicate, then it either dies or goes into this state called senescence, which is really kind of cool. It's like a zombie cell. So this whole theory of loss of information, the loss of the ability to correct and mend the DNA, or the problems associated with the age workers, if you will, not going back home, not going back to their originally programmed. And that's why many of the things that we experience with aging are cumulative. It happens more when we get in our 50s and 60s and 70s. That's when the bills come due because all this damage that's been going on for years and years and years eventually just overwhelms the system. And that's why doing things like smoking, which blocks the action of these little repair mechanisms can make someone age somewhere rapidly. You look somebody who smoked for 25 years and they're gonna physically look like they're 10 or 15 years older than someone who hasn't smoked. And it's real because they're, they're for example, their skin, the, the damage to their skin is not being able to be corrected like it was because of the contaminants in the smoke. And the same thing happens to any excess that can create damage. So the whole concept is, is this is, this is absolutely cumulative. It happens over time. And if there are ways that we can either increase the AIDS workers, increase these sirtuins, increase the ability of the body to repair itself, or if we can provide more of them, then we can actually slow the aging process. And that's what's happening. That's what these studies in both animals and humans are showing is that there are things we can do that will enhance the ability of our, to repair this DNA, to, 
to take it from a micro level to a macro level, meaning, okay, great, you can repair DNA. Like, who cares? Well, you ought to care because that may allow you to live to 80, 90, 100, 110, 120 in a healthier state. It's not going to stop aging, but it can slow it down and in some cases even prevent the onset of some of these age-related problems like heart disease, obesity, cancer, stroke, senile dementia, all the stuff you don't want to mess with. There's a possibility with what we're seeing in the research now that we can actually slow that down and in some instances actually inhibit that and prevent it from even occurring in the first place. Really exciting stuff. So that's that's about all the science I wanted to really go into, just so you understand the concept. And now let's talk a little more practical stuff. If nothing else, I love to try to provide you some information that you can take right now, starting this moment, to institute, to make healthier choices. That's how I end every every video that I do. I try to say, make healthy choices. And it's all about choice. It's all about deciding that you're going to be consistent with those choices. So I'm going to give you some, um, some ideas and some things that are based on research. This is not just stuff I picked up, you know, in, in reading the New York Times, which I wouldn't read anyway, but these are things that are very, uh, very, very research scientifically founded. Some of them sound a little frou-frou, like little like crystals and woohoo, a uh, little new agey type stuff. Well, no, that's, that's not the case. This is real science that's backed up by a lot of studies in both humans and animals. Obviously, think about some of the research is limited because to see if something's going to extend lifespan, you got to study it for many, many decades. So there's, there's a limitation into how much can come out with this. But just as I've said time and time again in these videos, I'm not going to say anything that I can't give you the references for to back up what we're talking about. So let's go straight to the stuff that you want to start today, starting now to increase that lifespan. More importantly, increase that health span. Number one, be active daily. Now, I am an exercise evangelist, but let me explain how being active, not necessarily exercise, but active can actually make a difference. When I divide activity level, I divide it into formal exercise, and that's going somewhere for a specific time to do a specific activity, like walking or running or chasing squirrels or climbing trees or doing something prescribed for that period of time with a goal in mind. But what's even more important is your day-to-day -day activity level, especially if you're in a sedentary job, especially if you're by your lifestyle forced to be in a situation where you can't be active. We're finding more and more that that type of activity can many ways be more important than just going to the gym or riding the bike. Not to discount any of that stuff. Goodness gracious, I want you to keep doing that because that has its benefits on its own. But just think of creative ways in your own lifestyle to increase your activity level and it makes a big difference. Let's break it down to the science of it. Mentioned earlier about this concept called telomeres. Telomeres are like, they're, they're, they top the chromosomes. Think about the chromosomes again with those little arms hanging up and they have ends on them. Well, the 
telomeres are like the little eyelets that fit on the end of your shoelaces so that the shoelaces don't get frayed. Well, the same thing fits on the end of those DNA sequences so they don't get all destroyed and frayed, and those are called telomeres. The longer the telomeres, the longer the lifespan. The shorter the telomeres, the shorter the lifespan. What's one of the most effective tools for lengthening telomeres? You got it, being active. And that doesn't mean training for a marathon, although that's great, you probably ought to do it. You don't have to do that. That means just being more active on a daily basis. People who are more active, and that can be as little as the equivalent of running four miles a week. That means 50, most, most adults, unless they really have a, a medical problem, can, can run a mile in at least 15 minutes or walk a mile very fast at 15 minutes. So that's the equivalent of doing 15 minutes of activity every week. That's that little bit, that teeny tiny little bit has been associated with lengthening telomeres, which has been associated with longevity. Now, isn't it worth it to do 15 minutes of increased activity a, a, a day? If you knew you could extend your lifespan and re reduce the risks of things like heart disease and senile dementia, come on, absolutely it should be. So, and that means, oh, I don't have an hour and a half to go to the gym and, you know, I just hate going there and putting on that spandex and just, I just don't like the way I, you know, it, does this make my butt look big? Yeah, I mean, you, you know what I'm talking about. You don't have to do that. I'm talking about two or three five-minute activities during the day, no matter where you are, what you're doing. I'll give you an example. In my office, if you walk around our office, you see these little credenzas where we work on our computers after we go in and see a patient, we come out and do our charting. Well, all the nurses and docs in the office have a little chair there where, or a little stool they sit on and do the computer. I don't have a stool. It forces me to stand up. That one little activity can make a significant difference in calories burned, in muscle strength, that adds up. So that's what I mean by that day in and day out activity. It's in every single study been shown to increase telomere length, increase the availability of this thing called NAD, to increase the antioxidant ability, the repairability of the DNA. Bottom line, it makes you live longer and healthier. So virtually everyone can find some way of being more active throughout the day. Whew, okay, I, I, that's, that's where I'm so passionate about it. I, I mean, everybody knows who, who's been watching this for a period of time know that being an exercise evangelist, it gets tiring because it's so physically demanding. Number two, eat until you're 70% full. There is a word in Okinawa where there is probably one of the highest concentrations of people living healthily into their hundreds. It's called a blue zone. There is a word there called, or several words called harahashibu. And it's a concept that means eat till you're 70% full. Don't eat till you're gores. Don't eat till where you're like you are on Thanksgiving afternoon, but eat slowly and eat till you start feeling a little bit full and then stop. There is a lag time from when the signals from your stomach get to your brain to say you're full. So if you wait until you feel completely full, you're 15% over full. Does that make sense? 
So just eat until you feel 70% full. The bottom line with that is eat less. That's really the message. Virtually every study looking at calorie consumption, regardless of what we call macros, protein, carbohydrate, fat, if you just eat 10 to 15% less calories on a daily basis, which may be 150, 200 calories, I mean, that's one latte, come on. That's all it takes to reduce your incidence of all these problems associated with longevity. People who eat fewer calories as a whole can increase their health span rather dramatically. It can be incredible the number of additional good years you can have just by calorie restriction. Again, it doesn't have to be you know, these starvation by any stretch. I'm talking about maybe 150 to 200 calories a day. And most of us, if we truly look at what we consume during the day, pretty darn easy to knock off that amount. But that alone can make a big difference. There's some other things that are involved with that. There's a whole video on intermittent fasting and time-restricted eating. And a lot of the benefits that we get there from improving the way these little DNA repair things work to reducing your insulin level to controlling your blood glucose. I think a lot of it probably comes down to most people that do intermittent fasting or time-restricted eating probably consume less calories. And I think that is probably having probably the major benefit of any of those things. Staying on nutrition, because that's so important, it's the gas we put in our engine, it ought to be important, and most people don't put as much importance on that as it really should be. You want to eat whole foods, and by that, things that are identifiable as food. If your grandmother can't look at something and identify it as a real food, or if she can't look at the ingredient list and know what's in there, chances are it's probably not that great. So eat real food, food that you know is food. Eat food that is as close to where it came from as you can. Then that doesn't mean go out and start gnawing on a cow. That means, especially with plant foods, the less processed, the better. The closer it is to where it originally came from, the less likelihood that there's going to be a leaching of nutrients that there's gonna be the addition of negative nutrients uh, like sugars. Uh, so eat whole foods, eat real foods, eat them as close as you can to their natural source. Eat a lot of plants. There's nothing wrong with meat in moderation. For a number of years, many people knew I was a vegetarian. And in the last several years, after looking at the data, now it wasn't because I was wanting to save the chickens or you know, I was doing some kind of socially conscious thing. That, that wasn't my justification. I was actually going by what I thought at the time was appropriate science. But subsequently, I've been looking at the science and I realized that a more balanced approach is actually healthier in the long term. There's a lot to be said by adequate and, and, and good protein content, and a lot of that comes from meat, fish, and fowl. So now I try to mix that up, and I think everything in moderation, nothing into excess, the old Greek ideal really applies to nutrition. Balance is the key. So I do think it ought to be geared towards more towards plants, 
but not to the exclusion of certain meats. Now, if you're a vegan or a vegetarian, that's fine. You can get plenty of protein that way. We've gone down that bus before, that road before, so I know that that's possible. But I also think it's pretty unhealthy to be having steak every night and to be having you know just meat and potatoes as your standard fare every day. That's not good either. So it, it just takes a, a plant-based, we'll just say plant-based diet and leave it at that. Here's one I know you're going to like. Drink red wine. Now, don't go out saying that I said you ought to just drink a bottle a night. No, the, every study that said red wine is healthy has put the caveat in in moderation, it goes back to that same thing. Everything in moderation, nothing to excess. So what does that mean for red wine? Where for women, that's one glass a day, and for men, that's two. And largely because of increased body mass and muscle mass and some changes in how metabolized alcohol is metabolized is why there's a difference between men and women. But there is evidence that some of the ingredients like the acanthocins and some of the antioxidants in red wine, including resveratrol, which we're gonna talk about in a minute, can actually be associated with some health benefits in reducing blood clotting, for example. So we know that moderate consumption of red wine is beneficial for a lot of folks, but I have to underline that moderate. Now, if you're not a drinker, great, because the reality is that alcohol itself is pretty much hollow calories, calories that actually add up and don't provide a lot of nutrition. So can you get some of the benefits from red wine by just eating grapes or drinking grape juice? Yeah, if it's not sweetened grape juice. And so you know, I'm, I'm having to add those caveats. Don't, don't use that as an excuse to go get you a bottle of Ripple and drink that every night saying, I'm being healthy. No, it doesn't work that way. Just know that uh, things like Malbec and Pinot Noir, and I probably butchered that, I'm, I'm not a, a onophile, probably have the highest concentration of resveratrol, which we'll touch on in just a few minutes when we talk about different medicines. This one will be kind of surprising to you. Number five is develop a strong sense of purpose develop a strong sense of purpose. Knowing why you wake up every day has actually been associated with longevity. We know that the more you are, you stay physically and mentally engaged as you get older, and this really applies to younger folks too. The more you stay engaged, the more you have a reason to get up, the more you have a sense of your own purpose, your sense of identity, your sense of of what you're wanting to accomplish, the more likely you are to reduce your incidences of some of these problems associated with medical issues down the road. And by translation, that means less morbidity and mortality. Simpli simply put, the more you understand your why, the easier it is to accomplish the how. The more you understand who you are, what your reason is for being here, whether that's a transcendent reason, whether that's a reason as simple as I'm here to serve the people that I, I, I serve in my business or my home life, or I'm here to raise my children, or I'm here to make a gajillion dollars, or, or I'm here to cure cancer. Whatever that purpose is, 
if you are clear on that and you've articulated that and oftentimes written that down, there was a fascinating study done with Harvard graduates back probably 50 years ago now where they took people who graduated from Harvard and they followed, followed them over 30 years. And they divided them into different categories based on different characteristics. And the people who had actually written down a set of goals that had written down kind of a purpose statement, if you will, a vision statement for their life in college, actually lived on average eight years beyond those who didn't have a similar feeling about purpose. There was a wonderful book that many of you read called Man's Search for Meaning by Viktor Frankl. He was a psychologist, psychiatrist, Austrian, who was imprisoned in some of the Nazi death camps back in World War II. And he was fascinated by the differentiation between those who eventually survived being in these camps and those who died. And in some instances, the thing that set him apart, that set these people apart for this survival was their sense of purpose. And it didn't really matter what that purpose was, but they were clear on having some sense of transcendence, having some reason for living. And that was the variable that made a difference for a lot of them. So if you haven't really sat down and thought about that for a long time, I encourage you to take the moment, take some time, and really think about why am I here? What am I doing? Who am I serving? What are my goals? Why do I get up in the morning? Answering those questions actually can lengthen your health span. Number six, take time to de-stress. Stress is probably, well, we know 70% of doctor visits can be related to stress in some ways. It is the disease of the 21st century. Our life is full of stress. Stress is unavoidable. I've done several videos on different ways of handling stress. Believe me, look, if I had the secret, not only would I be doing it myself, which I don't, but I would be sharing it with the world and I'd probably be retired on Barbados right now. But there are techniques, there are things you can do to help de-stress your life. And the more you can limit that, I guess my point is here is just understanding that stress is a very real entity that has a physiological effect on your body. It raises cortisol. It affects how your body metabolizes sugars. It's associated with obesity. It's associated with cardiovascular disease, senile dementia. So stress is as big a risk factor for people and their health as smoking or being overweight. And then if you happen to combine those, it's additive. So stress on top of anything else makes it worse. So think about ways that you can begin to de-stress your life and your relationships. Kind of tied into that is the next one, and that's be a part of something beyond you. And when we talk about that understanding about transcendence, a lot of times we go to religion. And I think there's a lot of evidence, in fact, I know there's a lot of evidence that people who are in some form of religious community, and that can be a member of a church or a synagogue or a mosque or, or some type of religious community, 
that teaches transcendence, that teaches something beyond this existence, that community itself lends towards people living longer and healthier. We know that it, there's a lot in that community that brings people together, that provides a lot of feedback and a lot of different mechanisms for reducing morbidity and mortality. So being a part of a community that has beliefs beyond who you are, that, that take you to a different understanding of those things like purpose and community can make a big difference. Religious people tend to have fewer medical problems even from the standpoint of their immune system. Now that is a gross generalization. That's obviously, we all know exceptions to that. Unfortunately, with a, a lot of the religious communities in the South, especially, there is a huge issue when it comes to nutrition and obesity. Unfortunately, the, the more religious you are, there's a correlation with being overweight. And we also know that some of that may be related to what I call the casserole patrol. And, you know, in my church, you know, if you get married, you're going to get a casserole. If you had a relative die, you're going to get a casserole. I mean, heck, if you got a parking ticket, you're probably going to get a casserole. And these are not exactly health foods. You know, these are not broccoli casseroles. These are ham hock casseroles. So there is a little bit of a correlation there. So when I talk about religious communities, I'm meaning communities that provide a lot of emotional support, that provide a lot of assistance in things that are healthy for the long term. So people who tend to be a part of a community tend to have a longer lifestyle or lifespan rather. Put family first. This is a fascinating finding in particular in this book called The Blue Zones, which looked at seven places around the globe that had people who lived to the greatest length of time than any other places in the globe. I mean, they had a significant number in the population who were living to be 100 or above. And one of the things they found in, a, in these cross-cultural studies, I mean, everywhere from Loma Linda, California, to Okinawa, and, and everywhere in between, was that people were engaged with their families, whether it's extended families, whether they were actually living with them or they had close contact. And I think it goes back to this idea of community. It goes back to this idea of being, having a support network and understanding sense of purpose and transcendence. So it didn't surprise me at all that people who were engaged in family that had, had ongoing contact with family tended to have a higher and longer lifespan. And it's also important in that same vein to kind of surround yourself with like-minded people. Now that doesn't mean you all have to just watch Fox News or you all have to be a certain belief in a certain political party or if you have to, you know, that you only want to be around people who think exactly the things you think. What I mean by that is you want to be around people who support healthy behaviors. People who are going to be beneficial when you tell them, hey, I'm going to stop eating these things, not someone who's going to criticize you and make fun of you for making changes in your life that are going to be healthy. So one of the things we tell people in our weight loss program is that your life and your relationships are going to change. When you lose 80 pounds, it's going to affect not only your physiology, but it's going to affect your relationship with your family, with your friends, with your spouse. 
So you've got to make sure you surround yourself with people who are going to be supportive, people who are going to be not threatened by that change in who you are and what you are. And the same thing applies to someone who wants to be more active. You want to be, surround yourself with people who are going to help you become that way, who are going to be accountable to you, who are you going to be accountable to them, that they're going to be a positive impact. Get rid of the negative energy of people who are criticizing you and constantly giving you a hard time when you're trying to make good, healthy changes in your life. So you have to surround yourself with people who share similar health benefits. And it just reinforces the things that will make life easier for you to make those changes. All right. I want to talk about three, uh, I guess you can call them drugs or medicines or three things that I know, I know you're going to hear a whole lot more if you haven't already you're going to hear a whole lot more over the next five to seven years. And you can say, you heard it here first. You can go to the next cocktail party and tell these people about these things before they even knew about it because you're a wowzer and you got it here first. So these are three things that you might want to do yourself. Now, I'm not giving you medical advice on this. Make sure you understand I'm not telling you to go out and do these things. I, th this is not uh, advice. I'm just educating you and you can take it for, for what it's worth and investigate it on your own, which I encourage you to do. But three things you're going to be hearing a whole lot about. Number one is a really kind of an antibiotic, antifungal called rapamycin. Rapami and I'm going to put all these in the, in the show notes. Rapamycin was initially discovered under the, in the soil under those big stone statues on Easter Island. You've all seen those pictures. Nobody can figure out how they got there and very mysterious, but for some reason, these scientists were sampling the soil and they found this fungus that produced this chemical, or this bacteria actually, that produced this chemical that had antifungal properties and it actually also suppressed the immune system. So this rapamycin was initially used in organ transplants to prevent rejection of the transplanted organs. But they also saw that it was promoting the healing of this damaged DNA. And they did a lot more studies and it involves these proteins called mTOR and suppression of mTOR and it increased the repairability. The bottom line is people who take rapamycin intermittently, and that's important because there's, there's a lot of different nuances about dosing, but People who take the rapamycin uh, are showing improved markers of DNA repair. So if this information loss theory of aging is true, then this may be something that will help repair that as you get older, kind of take you back to an earlier day before that damage was done. So rapamycin is not right now obviously being used for that purpose, but you're going to see a tremendous amount of research and interest in the next several years on this particular drug. Keep watching for it. The second is probably one you have heard of called metformin. Metformin or glucophage is a medicine that's been around for a number of years and it's used by primarily type 2 diabetics to control their blood sugar. Where we're finding that metformin has a whole lot of other really amazing things that it does as well as decrease the liver output of uh, um, 
of glucose, which is the way it's mechanism for lowering blood sugar. We found some evidence that metformin likewise can help control the metabolism of mitochondria, the little battery packs in the cells, so it makes them work more efficiently. It also can stimulate the repair of this DNA. So there's actually a lot of researchers, this is fascinating, there's people who are researching this who are so convinced that metformin can reduce their morbidity and increase their health span that they're actually taking it, not that they're diabetic, but they're taking it for its life extension ability. Again, I cannot sit here and tell you to do that at this point because we don't have the long-term studies in humans. And quite honestly, every drug, there's trade-offs, there's pluses and minuses. So do people with metformin have side effects? Of course, a lot of people have terrible diarrhea, stomach irritation. So again, this stuff is so individualized, but just know that if you are interested in this area and you start looking at the news, you're gonna see some information in the next several years talking about metformin, not from its ability to reduce sugars, but for its longevity and life extension ability. And then the final is really a supplement. It's called resveratrol. I already mentioned it earlier, and we see it highly, highly contained in, in grapes, especially red grapes. We see it in wine. And resveratrol is another one of those chemicals that helps promote the action of these sirtuins and helps to keep them healthy so they can go back and repair that DNA when it gets harmed. It's also an antioxidant, and we all have heard that term before. So there, there's a lot of evidence in both animals and humans that supplementing with resveratrol is beneficial and can be possibly related to a longer, healthier lifespan. And there's a lot of evidence that that's why some of the studies looking at the use of red wine or grapes or some other sources of resveratrol in a diet has been associated with beneficial effects on things like blood pressure and longevity. Now, resveratrol is available over the counter. You can go into any pharmacy and find bottles of resveratrol. Now, you've got to be careful. Like every time I harp on this when we talk about this, it's got to be good quality. It's got to be the appropriate dosage. And I'll tell you, this is just me. This is just me. I'm not advising you to do this, but people are interested. So this is just me. When it comes to supplements that I, I take to help with what I suspect will be my overall well-being, it's I take the omega-3 fatty acids. In particular, I do either the Omega XL or the Omeprim, which is a branded form of omega-3 fatty acids, and I take a gram of resveratrol. And then I, I do some additional things with fiber, and, uh, and, and but predominantly try to do the best I can through activity and nutrition and lifestyle. But those are the two supplements that I take personally that I believe the science is pretty sound in helping to reduce long-term health risks. And like we always say, make healthy choices. See you next time. Thank you for listening to the Women's Online Wellness Podcast. To join the conversation, access show notes, and discover bonus content, join our private Facebook community by sending a request to Women's Online Wellness. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to hear more, just head over to iTunes and subscribe, rate, and leave a review. For questions about the podcast or to get more information, 
Email Dr. Eaker at R-E-A-K-E-R at yahoo.com. Thank you for listening, and until next time, choose to be healthy.